Chapter Twenty Nine of The Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Twenty Nine. Is this the world of which we want a sight? Are these the beings who are called polite? Hannah Moore. A half hour before dinner, Mrs. Graham and her nieces, Mr. Bruce, his sister Fanny, and Lieutenant Osborne, as they sat in the large parlor, had their curiosity much excited by the merriment which seemed to exist in Emily's room, directly above. It was not noisy or rude, but strikingly genuine. Gertrude's clear laugh was very distinguishable, and even Emily joined frequently in the outburst which would every now and then occur, while still another person appeared to be of the party, as a strange and most singular voice occasionally mingled with the rest. Kitty ran to the entry two or three times, to listen, and hear, if possible, the subject of their mirth, and at last returned with the announcement that Gertrude was coming downstairs with the very queen of witches. Presently Gertrude opened the door, which Kitty had slammed behind her, and ushered in Miss Patty Pace, who advanced with measured, mincing steps to Mrs. Graham, and stopping in front of her, made a low curtsy. "'How do you do, ma'am?' said Mrs. Graham, half inclined to believe that Gertrude was playing off a joke upon her. "'This, I presume, is the mistress,' said Miss Patty. Mrs. Graham acknowledged her claim to that title. "'A lady of presence,' said Miss Patty to Gertrude, in an audible whisper, pronouncing each syllable with a manner and emphasis peculiar to her. Then, turning towards Belle, who was shrinking into the shadow of a curtain, she approached her, held up both hands in astonishment, and exclaimed, "'Miss Isabella, as I still enjoy existence!' and radiant, too, as the morning. Bless my heart! How your youthful charms have expanded! Bill had recognized Miss Pace the moment she entered the room, but with foolish pride was ashamed to acknowledge the acquaintance of so eccentric an individual, and would have still feigned ignorance. But Kitty now came forward, exclaiming, "'Why, Miss Pace, where did you come from?' "'Miss Catherine,' said Miss Pace, taking her hands in an ecstasy of astonishment, "'Then you knew me. Blessings on your memory of an old friend.' "'Certainly. I knew you in a minute. You're not so easily forgotten, I assure you. "'Belle, don't you remember Miss Pace? It's at your house. I've always seen her.' "'Oh, is it she?' said Belle, with a poor attempt to conceal the fact that she had any previous knowledge of a person who had been a frequent visitor at her father's house, and was held in high esteem by both her parents. "'I apprehend.' said Miss Patty to Kitty, in the same loud whisper, that she carries a proud heart. Then, without having appeared to notice the gentlemen, who were directly behind her, she added, "'Sparks, I see Miss Catherine, young Sparks. Whose? Yours or hers?' Kitty laughed, for she saw that the young men heard her, and were much amused, and replied, without hesitation, "'Oh, mine, Miss Patty, mine, both of them.' Miss Patty now looked round the room, and, missing Mr. Graham, advanced to his wife, saying, "'And where, madame, is the bridegroom?' Mrs. Graham, a little confused, replied that her husband would be in presently, and invited Miss Pace to be seated. "'No, mistress, I am obliged to leave you. I have an inquiring mind, and, with your leave, will take a survey of the apartment. I love to see everything that is modern.' She then proceeded to examine the pictures upon the walls, but had not proceeded far before she turned to Gertrude, and asked, still loud enough to be distinctly heard, "'Gertrude, my dear, what have they done with the second wife?' 
Gertrude looked surprised, and Miss Pace corrected her remark, saying, "'Oh, it is the counterfeit that I have reference to. The original, I am aware, departed long since. But where is the counterfeit of the second Mistress Graham? It always hung here, if my memory serves me.' Gertrude whispered a reply to this question, and Miss Pace then uttered the following soliloquy. "'The Garrett. Well, tis the course of nature. What is new obliterates the recollection, even, of the old.' She now linked her arm in Gertrude's, and made her the companion of her survey. When they had completed the circuit of the room, she stopped in front of the group of young people, all of whom were eyeing her with great amusement, claimed acquaintance with Mr. Bruce, and asked to be introduced to the member of the War Department, as she styled Lieutenant Osborne. Kitty introduced her with great formality, and at the same time presented the lieutenant to Gertrude, a ceremony which she felt indignant that her aunt had not thought proper to perform. A chair was now brought, Miss Patty joined their circle, and entertained them until dinner-time. Gertrude again saw Emily's room. At the table, Gertrude, seated next to Emily, whose wants she always made her care, and with Miss Patty on the other side, had no time or attention to bestow on any one else, much to the chagrin of Mr. Bruce, who was anxious she should observe his assiduous devotion to Kitty, whose hair was adorned with moss rosebuds, and her face with smiles. Bell was also made happy by the marked admiration of her young officer, and no one felt any disposition to interfere with either of the well-satisfied girls. Occasionally, however, some remark made by Miss Pace irresistibly attracted the attention of every one at the table, and extorted either the laughter it was intended to excite, or a mirth which, though perhaps ill-timed, it was impossible to repress. Mr. Graham treated Miss Patty with the most marked politeness and attention, and Mrs. Graham, who was possessed of great suavity of manners when she chose to exercise it, and who loved dearly to be amused, spared no pains to bring out the old lady's conversational powers. She found, too, that Miss Patty was acquainted with everybody, and made most appropriate and amusing comments upon almost every person who became the topic of conversation. Mr. Graham, at last, led her to speak of herself and her lonely mode of life, and Fanny Bruce, who sat next, asked her, bluntly, why she never got married. "'Ah, my young miss,' said she, "'we all wait our time, and I may take a companion yet.' "'You should,' said Mr. Graham. "'Now you have property, Miss Pace, and ought to share it with some nice, thrifty man.' Mr. Graham knew her weak point. "'I have but an insignificant trifle of worldly wealth,' said Miss Pace, "'and am not as youthful as I have been. But I may suit myself with a companion, notwithstanding. I approve of matrimony.' and have my eye upon a young man. "'A young man!' exclaimed Fanny Bruce, laughing. "'Oh, yes, Miss Frances,' said Miss Patty. "'I am an admirer of youth, and of everything that is modern. Yes, I cling to life. I cling to life.' "'Certainly,' remarked Mrs. Graham. "'Miss Pace must marry somebody younger than herself, someone to whom she can leave all her property, if he should happen to outlive her.' "'Yes,' said Mr. Graham. "'At present you would not know how to make a will.' "'unless you left all your money to Gertrude here. "'I rather think she would make a good use of it.' "'That would certainly be a consideration to me,' said Miss Pace. "'I should dread the thought of having my little savings squandered. "'Now I know there's more than a sufficiency of pauper population, "'and plenty that would be glad of legacies. "'But I have no intention of bestowing on such. "'Why, sir, nine-tenths of them will always be poor. "'No, no, I shouldn't give to such. "'No, no, I have other intentions.' "'Miss Pace,' asked Mr. Graham, "'what has become of General Pace's family?' "'All dead,' 
replied Miss Patty promptly. All dead! I made a pilgrimage to the grave of that branch of the family. It was a melancholy and touching scene, continued she, in a pathetic tone of voice. There was a piece of grassy ground, belted about with an iron railing, and in the center a beautiful white marble monument, in which they were all buried. It was pure as alabaster, and on it was inscribed these lines. Pace. What were the lines? inquired Mrs. Graham, who believed her ears had deceived her. Pace, ma'am, pace, nothing else. Solemn as was the subject, a universal titter pervaded the circle, and Mrs. Graham, perceiving that Kitty and Fanny would soon burst into uncontrollable fits of laughter, made the move for the company to quit the table. The gentlemen did not care to linger, and followed the ladies into the wide entry, the refreshing coolness of which invited every one to loiter there during the heat of the day. Miss Patty and Fanny Bruce compelled the unwilling Gertrude to join the group there assembled, and Mrs. Graham, who was never disposed to forego her afternoon nap, was the only member of the family who absented herself. So universal was the interest Miss Patty excited that all private dialogue was suspended, and close attention given to whatever topic the old lady was discussing. Bell maintained a slightly scornful expression of countenance. And tried with partial success to divert Lieutenant Osborne's thoughts into another channel. But Kitty was so delighted with Miss Pace's originality that she made no attempt at any exclusive conversation. And with Mr. Bruce sitting beside her and joining in her amusement, looked more than contented. Dress and fashion, two favorite themes with Miss Patty, were now introduced. And after discoursing at some length upon her love of the beautiful, as witnessed in the mantua making and millinery arts, she deliberately left her seat, and going towards Bell, the only one of the company who seemed desirous to avoid her, began to examine the material of her dress, and finally requested her to rise and permit her to further inspect the mode in which it was made, declaring the description of so modern and finished a masterpiece of art would be a feast to the ears of some of her junior acquaintances. Bell indignantly refused to comply, and shook off the hand of the old lady, as if there had been contamination in her touch. Do stand up, Bell, said Kitty, in an undertone. Don't be so cross. Why don't you stand up yourself, said Bell, and show off your own dress, for the benefits of her low associates? She didn't ask me to, replied Kitty, but I will, with the greatest pleasure, if she will condescend to look at it. Miss Pace, continued she gaily, placing herself in front of the inquisitive Miss Patty, do admire my gown at your leisure, and take a pattern of it if you like. I should be proud of the honor. For a wonder, Kitty's dress was pretty and well worthy of observation. Miss Patty made many comments, especially on the train, as she denominated its unnecessary and inconvenient length. And then, her curiosity being satisfied, commenced retreating towards the place she had left. First glancing behind her to see if it was still vacant, and then moving towards it with a backward motion, consisting of a series of curtsies. Fanny Bruce, who stood near, observing that she had made an exact calculation how many steps would be required to reach her seat, placed her hand on the back of the chair, as if to draw it away, and encouraged by a look and smile from Isabel, moved it, slightly, but still enough to endanger the old lady's safety. On attempting to regain it, Miss Patty stumbled, and would have fallen, but Gertrude, who had been watching Fanny's proceedings, sprung forward in time to fling an arm around her, and place her safely in the chair, casting at the same time a reproachful look at Fanny, who, much confused, turned to avoid Gertrude's gaze, 
and in doing so, accidentally trod on Mr. Graham's gouty toes, which drew from him an exclamation of pain. Fan, said Mr. Bruce, who had observed the latter accident only, I wish you could learn politeness. Who am I to learn it from? asked Fanny, pertly. You? Ben looked provoked, but forbore to reply. Well, Miss Pace, who had now recovered her composure, took up the word and said, Politeness, ah, a lovely but rare virtue, perceptively developed, however, in the manners of my friend Gertrude, which I hesitate not to affirm would well become a princess. Bell curled her lip and smiled disdainfully. Lieutenant Osborne, said she, don't you think Miss Devereux has beautiful manners? Very fine, replied the lieutenant. The style in which she receives company, on her reception day, is elegance itself. Who were you speaking of? inquired Kitty. Mrs. Harry Noble? Miss Devereux, we were remarking upon, said Belle, but Mrs. Noble is also very stylish. I think she is, said Mr. Bruce. Do you hear, Fanny? We have found a model for you. You must imitate Mrs. Noble. I don't know anything about Mrs. Noble, retorted Fanny. I'd rather imitate Miss Flint. Miss Gertrude, said she, with a seriousness which Gertrude rightly believed was intended to express regret for her late rudeness. How shall I learn politeness? Do you remember? asked Gertrude, speaking low, and giving Fanny a look full of meaning. What your music master told you about learning to play with expression? I should give you the same rule for improvement in politeness. What is that? said Mr. Graham. Let us know, Fanny. What is Gertrude's rule for politeness? She only said, answered Fanny, that it was the same my music master gave me last winter. And what did he say? inquired her brother, with a tone of interest. I asked Mr. Herman, said Fanny, how I should learn to play with expression. And he said, You must cultivate your heart, Miss Bruce. You must cultivate your heart. This new direction for the attainment of a great accomplishment was received with countenances that indicated as great a variety of sentiment as there was difference of character among Fanny's audience. Mr. Graham bit his lip. and walked away, for his politeness was founded on no such rule, and he knew that Gertrude's was. Bell looked glorious disdain, Mr. Bruce and Kitty, puzzled and half amused, while Lieutenant Osborne proved himself not quite callous to a noble truth, by turning upon Gertrude a glance of admiration and interest. Emily's face evidenced how fully she coincided in the opinion thus unintentionally made public. and Miss Patty unhesitatingly expressed her approbation. Miss Gertrude's remark is undeniably a verity, said she. The only politeness which is trustworthy is a spontaneous offering of the heart. Perhaps this goodly company of masters and misses would condescend to give ear to an old woman's tale of a rare instance of true politeness, and the fitting reward it met. All professed a strong desire to hear Miss Patty's story, and she began. On a winter day some years ago, an old woman of many foibles and besetting weaknesses, but with a keen eye and her share of worldly wisdom, Miss Patty Pace by name, started by special invitation for the house of one worshipful Squire Clinton, the honored parent of Miss Isabella, the fair damsel yonder. Every tall tree in our good city was spangled with frostwork, more glittering far than gems that sparkle in Golconda's mine. and the sidewalks were a snare to the feet of the old and the unwary. I lost my equilibrium and fell. 
two gallant gentlemen lifted and carried me to a neighboring apothecary's emporium, restored my scattered wits, and revived me with a fragrant cordial. I went on my way with many a misgiving, however, and scarcely should I have reached my destination with bones unbroken, had it not been for a knight with a rosy countenance, who overtook me, placed my old arm within his own more strong and youthful one, and protected my steps to the very end of my journey. No slight courage either, my young missus, did my noble escort need, to carry him through what he had undertaken. Paint to your imaginations a youth fresh and beautiful as a sunbeam, straight as an arrow, a perfect Apollo indeed, linked to the little bent body of poor Miss Patty Pace. I will not spare myself, young ladies, for had you seen me then, you would consider me now vastly ameliorated in outward presentment. My double row of teeth were stowed away in my pocket, my frisette was pushed back from my head by my recent fall, and my gogs, the same my father wore before me, covered my face, and they alone attracted attention, and created some excitement. But he went on unmoved, and in spite of many a captivating glance and smile from long rows of beautiful young maidens whom we met, and many a sneer from the youths of his own age, he sustained my feeble form with as much care as if I had been an empress, and accommodated his buoyant step to the slow movement which my infirmities compelled. Ah, what a spirit of conformity he manifested, my knight of the rosy countenance! Could you have seen him, Miss Catherine, or you, Miss Frances, your palpitating hearts would have taken flight forever. He was a paragon, indeed. Whither his own way tended I cannot say, for he moved in conformity to mine, and left me not until I was safe at the abode of Mistress Clinton. I hardly think he coveted my old heart, but I sometimes believe it followed him, for truly he is still a frequent subject of my meditations. Ah, then that was his reward, exclaimed Kitty. Not so, Miss Kitty. Guess again. I can think of nothing so desirable, Miss Patty. His fortune in life, Miss Catherine. That was his reward. It may be that he cannot yet estimate the full amount of his recompense. How so? exclaimed Fanny. I will briefly narrate the rest. Mistress Clinton encouraged me always to converse much in her presence. She knew my taste, and was disposed to humor me, and I was pleased to be indulged. I told my story, and enlarged upon the merits of my noble youth, and his wonderful spirit of conformity. The squire, a gentleman who estimates good breeding, was present, with his ears open, and when I recommended my knight with all the eloquence I could command, he was amused, interested, pleased. He promised to see the boy, and did so. The noble features spake for themselves, and gained him a situation as clerk, from which he has since advanced in the ranks. Until now he occupies the position of partner and confidential agent in a creditable and wealthy house. Miss Isabella, it would rejoice my heart to hear the latest tidings from Mr. William Sullivan. He is well, I believe, said Isabella, sulkily. I know nothing to the contrary. Oh, Gertrude knows, said Fanny. Gertrude knows all about Mr. Sullivan. She will tell you. All turned and looked at Gertrude who with face flushed, and eyes glistening with the interest she felt in Miss Patty's narrative, stood leaning upon Emily's chair. Miss Patty now appealed to her, much surprised, however, at her having any knowledge of her much-admired and well-remembered young escort. Gertrude drew near, and answered all her questions without the least hesitation or embarrassment. But in a tone of voice so low, that the others, most of whom felt no interest in Willie, entered into conversation 
and left her and Miss Patty to discourse freely concerning a mutual friend. Gertrude gave Miss Pace a brief account of the wonder and curiosity which Willie and his friends had felt concerning the original author of his good fortune, and the old lady was so entertained and delighted at hearing of the various conjectures and doubts which arose on the reception of Mr. Clinton's unexpected summons and of the matter being finally attributed to the agency of Santa Claus, that her laugh was nearly as loud, and quite as heartfelt, as that of the gay party near the doorstep, whom Kitty and Fanny had excited to unusual merriment. Miss Pace was just taxing Gertrude with interminable compliments, and messages of remembrance, to be dispatched in her next letter to Willie, when Mrs. Graham presented herself, refreshed both in dress and countenance since her nap, and arrested the attention of the whole company, by exclaiming, in her abrupt manner, and loud tones, "'What? Are you all still here? I thought you were bound for a walk in the woods. Kitty, what has become of your cherished scheme of climbing Sunset Hill?' "'I proposed it, Aunt, an hour ago, but Bell insists it was too warm. I think the weather is just right for a walk.' "'It will soon be growing cool,' said Mrs. Graham, "'and I think you had better start. It is some distance if you go round through the woods.' "'Who knows the way?' asked Kitty." No one responded to the question, and on being individually appealed to, all professed total ignorance, much to the astonishment of Gertrude, who believed that every part of the woody ground and hill beyond were familiar to Mr. Bruce. She did not stay, however, to hear any further discussion of their plans, for Emily was beginning to suffer from headache and weariness, and Gertrude, perceiving it, insisted that she should seek the quiet of her own room, to which she herself accompanied her. She was just closing the chamber door, when Fanny called from the staircase. "'Miss Gertrude, ain't you going to walk with us?' "'No,' replied Gertrude, "'not to-day.' "'Then I won't go,' said Fanny, "'if you don't. Why don't you go, Miss Gertrude?' "'I shall walk with Miss Emily by and by, if she is well enough. You can accompany us, if you like. But I think you would enjoy going to Sunset Hill much more.' Meantime, a whispered consultation took place below, in which someone suggested that Gertrude was well acquainted with the path which the party wished to follow through the woods. Belle opposed to her being invited to join them. Kitty hesitated between her liking for Gertrude and her fears regarding Mr. Bruce's allegiance. Lieutenant Osborne forbore to urge what Belle disapproved, and Mr. Bruce remained silent, trusting to the final necessity of her being invited to act as guide in which capacity he had purposely concealed his own ability to serve. This necessity was so obvious, that, as he had foreseen, Kitty was at last dispatched to find Gertrude, and make known their request. End of chapter 29